Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. In the Pew Bible, it's on page 967, if you'd like to follow along with us. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. Then fear came upon them, every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from the house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. So good to see you this morning. It is great to be able to worship with you, to come together uh, under one roof with brothers and sisters in Christ and give thanks to God to hear from his word. Uh, just a disclaimer for the lesson. I'm going to say some hard things today. And you may say, well, what gives you the right to say those things? You don't know where I am, and I, I don't. I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't know your relationship with God. I don't know uh, your involvement, as we will talk about later. But I have confidence that God's word has a tendency to give us what we need. So if you need comfort, I am assured God's word will give you comfort this morning. If you need conviction, God's word will give you conviction. I have no doubt about that. Before we get into Acts chapter 2 and the lesson for Involvement Sunday, I do want to make a few announcements. It is Involvement Sunday Part 1. Uh, we have two Involvement Sundays, actually. The first one is today. The next one is next week. And uh, if, you will, if you go out into the foyer and look at the ministry tables, you're going to see half the ministries, uh, roughly half, that are led by our deacons. So we have a lot more ministries outside of our deacon-led ministries. But you'll see about half out there. So don't think, oh, well, they forgot some. Uh, they will be on the tables next Sunday, uh, including a couple of new ministries you have we've never seen before. So we're really thankful uh, that we have these uh, men who are deacons here at Mount Juliet who are leading these ministries, who are organizing these works. So much gets done uh, and so many good things for the kingdom because of them. Uh, also, if you do not know what Family Tree is, if you are a member of the church, uh, the congregation here at Mount Juliet, and you do not have Family Tree, uh, please stop by the table out in the foyer underneath the large sign that says connect on it. Uh, you will see kind of some info about Family Tree, how to join. Basically, uh, I have some cards there with my contact info. You can contact me, uh, phone call or email. I will give you a username and password. Family Tree is an electronic thing, uh, but if you have a desktop at home or even your mobile phone, it will work with a smartphone. Uh, you can have access to picture directories, uh, numbers and, and uh, names of who is who so you'll know you'll be able to know who that person was you talked with uh, for sure and you'll also be able to look at the calendar of events and get important communications uh, we use family tree quite a bit it's a great 
tool. So uh, please get involved with that if you, uh, if you are able to this morning and haven't done so yet. We also have some SOS sheets on that same table out there under the connect sign. Uh, it used to be a 52-page book. I got it down to one page. You're welcome, and you have no excuse to fill one out now, uh, to not fill one out now. So one page, no excuses. We use that on a weekly basis uh, between Tim Martin and I alone. There's no telling how much others use it as well. Uh, some of our deacons use it also uh, to find people quickly based on uh, who would like to do that work. Uh, we don't mind giving people work that they feel they don't have experience in and things like that. It's kind of entertaining to watch once that happens. But we want to give you things that you feel you have experience in, that you do have experience in, that you want to do, that you're confident about doing. We want to give you those opportunities at first if we can. And the SOS program allows us to do that very quickly, uh, very efficiently. After service today, there will be an outreach reorganization lunch in the uh, fellowship hall, I believe. And Don Collins and Stephen Moles are our deacons that head that up. They have that reorganization lunch about twice a year. So uh, you have that available today. They said there was plenty of food. So if you wanted to show up and eat, you know, 50 pieces of chicken, go right ahead. Um, also tonight, we're looking ahead to sanctity of life. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to study from God's Word and uh, look at opportunities in our church, how we can stand up for that, how we can embrace uh, that noble concept. And we're looking forward to Daniel Kirby and David Shannon giving us more uh, information about that topic tonight. And next Sunday is Involvement Sunday Part 2. It's also Scholarship Sunday. So you will get to hear lessons from men that our congregation uh, have has given scholarship to help them study Bible degrees, study God's Word, prepare themselves for a career ministering uh, in, in God's kingdom. So please be prayerful for them. We're looking forward to hearing from them uh, next Sunday morning. It's Involvement Sunday, and uh, I am the Involvement Minister, and I'm supposed to talk about involvement, you know, since I, since I have been here in 2011 as the Involvement minister, I think I've typed, written, and texted the word involvement about a couple hundred thousand times. And every time I spell it, I still say involvement. There's an E in the middle of that, if you didn't know. We had the Pioneer Conference last month uh, where Mount Juliet Church of Christ hosted uh, area congregations, anybody who would come, the leaderships, so we could encourage them and help them freely think and create about how they can spread God's word in their specific community uh, based on our 12 questions campaign to to help them think of what could they do 12 questions or something else uh, to help spread and you know you you wouldn't believe how many elders and deacons and ministers and members had questions uh, outside of the campaign for the community about the involvement of their members how do we get people involved our involvement is weak we need help with involvement we don't know what to do but the concept of involvement can mean a lot of things. It's, it's like the world peace bomb in the interview sections of Miss America pageants. If there was a minister pageant, I could win the Q&A section single-handedly with just the answers Jesus and involvement. Of course, I would have to achieve runaway scores in the suit and tie modeling section as well. But what is involvement? I know, 
You're dying to see me answer the question of whether or not God makes armpits. And I will. But first, what does it mean to be involved in God's kingdom? Well, let's talk about what involvement is not. It's definitely not just coming up with a list of religious to-dos and then checking them off. The Pharisees did that and Jesus had quite a bit of things to say to the Pharisees. It's not a system just to make everyone busy so we can look like we are uh, doing something or productive or successful in an appearance way as a church. It's not about organizing our congregation's members to do things that are good but don't necessarily spread the gospel or God's love. What is involvement about? It's a term that spreads beyond the doors of my office and my career It spreads beyond the tables you will see with all the ministries on them out in the foyer here. It's spreading beyond the the walls of our our brick and mortar structure that we are sitting in right now. It's, It's a concept that should lodge deep within the heart of every person who responds to the gospel and begins the very personal, the very real, cross bearing, self denying walk with Jesus Christ. And so the text before us today is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It is on the screen for you. It's the first day of church as we know it in Acts chapter 2. Thousands of people have gathered in Jerusalem from all kinds of different places. Uh, Christ has ascended by this point in, in uh, in the story of Acts, but he's given his great commission, his mission, his authority, the Holy Spirit to the apostles. And the church grows after the preaching of the Word of God from a couple of souls in an upper room to 3,000 plus strong in a single day. And then they do something. Luke gives us this snapshot of what a church does, what happens when the Word of God is preached and Christ is proclaimed. Let's read this text again. This is after Peter's sermon. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What does this text have to do with involvement? What can we take from it? Well, and some of this is distractingly obvious. The gospel was preached, and the people who fell in love with the gospel did something. They got involved. The church started not on the principles of, hey, let's all just, let's all do something, or let's all look religious, or let's all be, uh, let's all go out and be activists for something, some, uh, something that we think is great. The church started on two things. Look a few verses in your Bible uh, backward to Acts chapter 2, verses 36 and 37. Everybody here knows Acts 2.38. What about 36 and 37? Leading up to that verse, it's this middle response point in Peter's sermon where the audience has this response and they're thinking on their own based on what Peter says. 
At the end of Peter's sermon, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Savior, Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest, Brothers, what shall we do? The church started on two things. Number one, the truth about Jesus that was clearly preached. And two, then and only then, those present sincerely asked, what shall we do? How do we get involved? I want you to think about that. When the people in Acts chapter 2 finally realized who Jesus was and what they had done, you know, they were involved before, but now they realize who Jesus was and what they had done, they were quickly willing to do what they needed to do to plug into the redemptive work God was already doing in the world. If we're not careful, sometimes we will do things based on tradition alone. Or sometimes we will do things on guilt. Sometimes we'll do things on perceptions that we think other people have, so we need to do things to keep up this perception of others. Sometimes we'll do things just because someone smacked us over the head and told us to do it. Sometimes we'll do things because it's what everybody else is doing. Sometimes we'll do things so we can contribute and be accepted and be important. Notice how in Acts chapter 2, none of that is the case. Every time a Christian involves themselves in Acts chapter 2, it was on the basis of the realization that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the reason. Look in verse 42. They devoted themselves. Devoted themselves to it. You know, it's funny how sometimes people will refrain from getting involved in some ministry for a lot of reasons. Try these on. Uh, for size. I didn't feel like anyone talked to me about it. No one made it seem that important. I couldn't find so-and-so who leads it at church. The two Wednesday nights, I actually tried looking for them. I didn't feel needed in that particular ministry. I felt overwhelmed because they wanted me to do too much. I felt bored because they didn't ask me to do enough. The things the leaders asked me to do felt simple. Perhaps they were a waste of time to me. This is my favorite. No one ever says the second half, but I hear the first half all the time. I'm only going to be in this area for a couple of months, so I better not try doing anything for the kingdom in this specific spot of the world. It wasn't announced enough. It was over-announced, so there'll probably be too many people there and not enough work for me to do. I've never done that before, so I better not do it now. I've done that a thousand times, so it's time for someone else to do it. I won't know anyone there, and it will be awkward. I already know everyone there, and it will still be awkward. <clears throat> Listen, people either devote themselves to a, pers a purpose or they devote themselves to excuses. The people of Acts found their purpose, Jesus Christ, who is Lord. And then they devoted themselves. The involvement began and the excuses didn't seem to bother or stop the devotees at that point. What is involvement in the kingdom. Involvement in the kingdom is not devotion to a certain congregation only, a group of certain friends only, a certain weekly task only. Involvement in the kingdom is devotion to the crucified and now risen Son of God, Jesus Christ. Total devotion. Look at verse 43. All came upon every soul. 
They were visiting, they were learning, they were eating together, they were attending, they were praying, they were praising God, and they did it in this, in this atmosphere, in this context of, of awe for God. How do you go to Bible class? How did you go to Bible class today? Did you go to Bible class today? How do you do the little acts of service? How do you do big acts of service in your life? How do you pray? How are you worshiping God right this second in second service? You know, it's real tempting to look like you're involved and not actually be involved. And, you know, God is not... God is not deceived by our appearances. Some of us may be deceived, but God is not deceived. It's real tempting to look involved but not be involved. Is God still full of awe to you? Does He still amaze you? When you worship at this service, are you in awe of God? Or do you rush to the next thing to get it done? Because it needs to be done. What is involvement in the kingdom? It's not productivity. It's not being busy. It's not sitting around claiming to be spiritual all the while doing nothing either. It's neither one of those extremes. Involvement in the kingdom is living in awe, living in thankfulness, living in praise to the crucified and now risen Son of God, Jesus Christ, total awe. In a sense, I, I don't want you to be involved. I don't want you to be busy for the sake of it. I don't want you to rush on to the next thing without being in awe of God. I don't want you to be a list checker. I don't want you to sign up for a bunch of stuff out there at the tables you and your heart don't want to do. But I do want you to be devoted to Christ. And the shepherds, they want you here to be devoted to Christ. They want you to worship in awe of such an awesome God. Listen to me very carefully. If you are going around doing a bunch of stuff here and you're here all the time and you look involved, you look involved, but you don't know who Jesus is or you've forgotten who Jesus is, I want you to ask yourself, am I devoted? Am I in awe? Am I communing with the risen Son of God? Am I really, am I really involved? And you may ask yourself that, and it may lead to something that looks on the surface, the appearance world, like you are less involved. And that's okay with me. If it leads you toward being more devoted and in awe of God, and it allows you to square with yourself and with your God every morning you, you wake up, I, the involvement minister, am okay with that. Because contrary to the world of appearances, that's what involvement is. And I may never know it, but you'll know it. And your God will know it. And the kingdom of God will know it. Does God make armpits? The moment you've all been waiting for... Maybe not. I, I never was very good with titles, but I thought I'd try my hand at one. Tammy mostly makes up my titles. She didn't make this one up. Does God make armpits? You know, uh, this is how my brain works. This is what I think about. Uh, an armpit is not really a thing, actually. It's, 
It's, what left, it's what's left over when a bunch of things come together, kind of like the hole in the middle of a donut. See, that's also things I think about. Armpits really can't exist on their own. To make an armpit, you have to make a, a chest muscle, a socket joint, a, a shoulder blade, uh, tendons, a bicep, a tricep, a lat muscle, rib cage, and so much more. And then you have to put them into a certain order, and then you have to cover it all with skin. An armpit lives uh, kind of this second-rate existence. It only is because everything around it already is. We, uh, you know, it's... We just named it armpit because the guys who invented deodorant had to have something to put in the instructions, you know, applied directly to armpit. Uh, we had to invent the word armpit because it makes more sense than trying to say, hey man, this, the space between your chest and shoulder and rib cage and lats and tries and buys smells like the old stuff in the refrigerator right now. And who goes to the hospital asking for armpit surgery? You know, when God made Adam, I don't think he started by saying, let's make an armpit and we're going to work our way out from there. God didn't make armpits. We just gave a name to what wasn't there when everything else came together. So why all this silly talk about armpits? Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16, Paul asserts that we are the body of Christ. He says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If you back up a few books, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. And then a few verses down in verse 27 of that same chapter, Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are members of the body of Christ. We look out for one another. Our problems are the other person's problems. Our brother's problems are our problems. On a limb level, when you roll your ankle, your hand doesn't just sit there and say, well, that stinks for him down there. I've got to do this hand thing up here. I've got to text, and I've got to unlock my phone screen, and I've got to, I've got to pick this pencil up, or I've got, to, I've got to pick the nails on the other hand over there. When you roll your ankle, the whole body rushes to the ankle, and it doesn't think twice. The eyes look at it. The hands touch it. When you roll your ankle, one leg shifts weight onto the other one, and one leg has to take on twice the weight that it normally does, and the body doesn't look at that as unfair. It just does it. And if you rolled your ankle, say, on a Sunday, for our purposes, the body doesn't forget about it on Wednesday that it ever happened or just stop thinking about it. When the body's diagnosed with cancer, it doesn't draw up a one- or two-week treatment a quick fix and put a band-aid on it. The body doesn't say, well, the white blood cells are still low, so uh, they've been down for a while, but you know what, we're going to formulate plans around that and just forget about it and continue in the work we got to do. When one member suffers in the body, all the members suffer. If you don't believe that, scratch your cornea. I scratched my cornea a couple of years ago, and my whole body suffered. I was, it's tremendous pain. It's Fascinating, really. 
I went to, uh, I came to work the day I did it. I thought I was going to get better. And Tammy thought I was on drugs and made me leave. And so I couldn't even drive to the doctor. My mother-in-law drove me to the doctor. Uh, and he put steroid drops in my eyes. And it was a miracle, like the pain went away. But he couldn't leave them in there because it wouldn't heal my eye. He said, come back in 20 minutes, the pain will. In about 19 minutes and 59 seconds, it came right back. I got sick to my stomach, got nauseous. My stomach made me throw up because my eyeball was scratched. I think you're getting the point. You and I, we are members of the body of Christ. We're not armpits in the body of Christ. An armpit is not a thing, even though we point to it and say that it is. None of us is some leftover space the body makes. When all the other parts are in place, God did not make armpits. He made chest muscles, shoulder blades, biceps, triceps, ribs to house the lungs. He made tendons and soft tissue. He made parts. He didn't and still doesn't make empty spaces in between the parts. And just because those spaces have names by humans, it doesn't make them real things. It doesn't mean they're a body part. So what is your perspective of involvement in the body of Christ? Well, you can be one of two things. You can either be a part of the body of Christ, or you can be a part from the body of Christ. Living apart from the body of Christ is not living any more than you'd point to an armpit and be like, yeah, that's its own thing. It's living its own kind of existence. If, if you're thinking that, your thinking's wrong. And think about the body again. You know, if, if you were attacked by something, what's the first thing your body does? It throws the, ex, the external limbs out, right, to protect the, the vital organs inside. Wouldn't it be frustrating if your body did not do that when you needed it to? Wouldn't it be frustrating if you fell going down a hill or something? Instead of your hands going down to, to help you stop your fall, they went up, out, as far away from danger as they possibly could, You'd be really funny on YouTube, but you wouldn't be having a lot of fun. And say, hands, why did you do that? They say, well, we might get hurt. We might get broken. We might get scabbed or mangled. You can't be stumbling around with messed up hands. The body should not have been careless in the first place. You know what? The body shouldn't have fell, and we wouldn't be having this conversation with you right now. It's not fair that we have to go down with the body and take the pain for it. A hand acting on its own in a fall is unheard of. A hand dismembered from the body is kind of gross. It's just dead. It's separated from life. can't live on its own. The only thing you can do with a hand dismembered from the body is put it on ice and wait for it to be put back on if it can be done. Because if you don't, it can only sit there and rot. And yet faith for certain Christians is something you just do on your own. It's this pious, individual, spiritual, mystical, solo, meditational thing. And that's messed up. That's not what God taught about church. That's what commercial Christianity teaches about church. That's what the world teaches. It amazes me how many books there are on individual spirituality in, con in contrast to the books of how to get along with people in the church and be a part of the church. Because to me, it seemed like Paul didn't write about mystical individualism. Everything Paul wrote about was about getting along with other people in the church. 
A Christian who is not involved in the church should be unheard of. A Christian who is not really involved in the church is kind of gross. It can't go anywhere. All it can do is sit there and rot. You know, there's a word for things that stay inside the body but don't want to help the body, that don't want to function with the body. Doctors call it cancer. And it is not a friend of the body. Destroys the body. Not by doing anything uh, bad actively per se, just by doing nothing. Just by sitting there and doing nothing but, but multiplying itself. Listen, Christianity is not just about works. I don't want you to get that. But if you truly know Jesus and you have faith and you know His identity and you know what He's done and you know what you did, you will be doing something for the kingdom. You will be involved in some way. What did I learn today? When I realized Jesus is the suffering, risen Savior, I should devote myself to Him and base my involvement in His redemptive work. Number two, even if I am busy and I look involved, if I have lost my devotion and all toward my Jesus, I have ceased to be involved. Number three, once I am a Christian, I choose either to be a part of the body of Christ or apart from the body of Christ. It is my decision. It is not my elder's decision. It's not my wife's decision. It's not my family's decision. It's not the church's decision. It's not even God's decision. God has already added you to the church. So it's up to you. It's your decision to be involved. Maybe maybe you have forgotten who Jesus is. And we all do it. It's called sin, you know. And maybe you have never join the body of Christ and you long to be a part of something that will give you life outside of yourself outside of this temporary life God's power can do that he designed his son Jesus Christ he designed the plan of salvation he designed this beautiful thing called called the church and he designed it purely for our best interest purely to save us to make us happy in ways we never could dream of it. So if you want to be baptized into that body, if you want to join the body, if you want to not live in the world, if you are already in the body and you say, you know what, I want to, I want to change a few things. And you can. As long as you are living and breathing this side of eternity, you can change whatever you want to with God's, with God's power. Whatever we can help you in today, whatever you need, it is our joy to help you because you're part of our body. Please come as we stand.